Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, it's so good to see you this morning. I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you made a, a major decision in life? I mean, where you come to this fork in the road, where you could go this way or go this way, and you felt this confidence to, to step out and to make a decision. I ask you a question knowing that, that those are important moments in life. Can, can you ever be truly sure that God is leading you in those fork in the road moments of life? Can you ever be truly sure that God's will is something that is accessible to you, can be given to you? Can you have any kind of confidence? Now, listen, we don't always stand at those fork in the roads. Every day is not a major decision day, but many days, some days, no doubt, are days that we have to wake up and in that day we've got to decide are we going to sell the house or not sell the house? I mean, they are not every day that you have like this, but some days you're going to have to decide, am I going to take that job or not take that job? Am I going to attend this university or that university? Am I going to embark upon my career or am I going to do more school and go enroll in this graduate program at this graduate school instead of that graduate school? Am I going to adopt and go forward with the home study at our house? Am I going to buy the ring or not buy the ring? Am I going to propose or not propose? All of these are questions that maybe not all of us have had to answer in the sanctuary, but many of us have come to those moments where we're asking God for his clarity and his will to make a decision in light of the options that are before us. Can we have a confidence that he is leading us in those moments where we're making these decisions? Can, can you walk in any kind of confidence that God's will is before you and you're stepping into it? God's word is not silent. It's not silent about major decisions that we make in life, and it is not silent about his direction for your life and my life. Here this morning in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26, a reminder that we serve a God who desires to lead us to make decisions that glorify Him. And church, they lead to your flourishing and they lead to the flourishing of others. We can confidently walk in God's will when we're reminded of the principles embedded in this passage. Hear the word of the Lord in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his, uh, and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. 
For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John till the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, verse 24, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Church, this is a really unique period in the history of, of salvation history. It's a very unique point. It's almost a parenthesis. Previously, we talked about last time we were together, how Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. So this incident obviously is after his ascension, but it is pre what he promised last time we were together at the beginning of chapter, Acts, or chapter 1 of the book of Acts. And that was that he was going to send his spirit. And so what do we have here? We have this moment where the spirit of God is not indwelling the people of God. The, uh, God. the second person of the Trinity, the son of God, has ascended to the right-hand throne of the Father. And there is a major milestone decision that has to be made. How are they going to make that decision? And what was that decision? Right before this passage here, we have in verse 13, Luke giving us a roll call of all the apostles. And you have one name and two names and three names and four names, five, six, gets to 11 and stops at 11. 11 is definitely a reminder of the mole in their midst, Judas, the one who went uh, mutinous upon his Savior and our Savior, Jesus, the, the, the very one who betrayed Jesus. And so we've got a problem here. We had 12 disciples. We have 12 tribes of Israel because of 12 sons of Jacob. 12 is a number of completion. And so when Peter stands up, he is glaring into the obvious fact that 11 is a glaring example of incompletion. And it's also a reminder that there is one who betrayed Jesus. There's sort of a reminder there, there, there. Can you imagine these 120 early followers who are wondering if God's plans can be derailed and the Son of God could die because of one who was a mole in our midst here? And we know that the resurrection happened and we know the ascension, but they're still struggling with the fact that the one, one of the disciples who walked with Jesus Heard the mirror, heard the teaching of Jesus, saw the miracles of Jesus, uh, betrayed Jesus. And so we have this moment in salvation history that is very unique where Peter feels the leadership of the Holy Spirit to stand up and say, This is how we're going to move forward so that there are 12 apostles, even in light of Judas's death. And so what does he do? He stands up in verse 16 and how does he start his appeal? With his, his authority? With his, does he say, hey, everybody knows I was really, really close to Jesus, so listen up. 
I think he would want us to do this? No. What does he do? He says, verse 16, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And then he gets two snippets of two Psalms, Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. Both of these are examples of how Peter hears this this psalm talking about David who lived a thousand years before, but how the Spirit of God is inspiring David to write words that would be relevant for their moment and their time. The first psalm, Psalm 69 verse 25, talks about the house becoming desolate for the one who betrayed David. And so Peter hears that through the Spirit of God and says, we have had a greater David who has been betrayed, and that house has been desolate. Judas has experienced the judgment of God and has experienced death. And then we have in Psalm 109, verse 8, we have the snippet of the psalm that Peter draws from, let another take his office. Peter connects these two dots that the Spirit of God led David to write and says, I know what we need to do. We need to replace Judas. There needs to be a new 12 as we move forward with the mission of God to spread his fame and his name to all the nations because he's been given that mission in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So they're moving forward with a solid foundation of 12. I want you to just see, just, just in this moment here, how Peter is leading out. Peter doesn't lead out with his own opinion. He doesn't lead out in his own authority. He leads out in God's authority. He leads out rooted in the scripture, in these Psalms that he's drawing together here to give a specific word to the specific time. Hey, it's a new year. Some of you are visiting Dawson for maybe the first time, or maybe you are coming and you've visited for a little bit and you're still trying to get your finger on the pulse of what this church is all about here. And if this is your first time here, you're making quite a few observations as we're worshiping this morning. And maybe one of the things that you realized when you walked in here is as you looked at the baptistry and you saw uh, to be found faithful as God's people above our baptistry and above the cross right there. And you said, what, what, what does that mean to be found faithful as God's people? What, what does Dawson mean by that? Which is a really good question. That's a question that we think a lot about, and we have tried to articulate as clearly as we can in what we call our theological vision, and the first tenet of that theological vision that answers the question, what does it look like to be found faithful as God's people, is this, God's Word is our authority. And the reason that we say God's Word is our authority is because a passage is just like this that you find in Acts chapter 1, where Peter stands up and says the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand in the mouth of David. This is a beautiful passage for us to be able to reflect upon the dual authorship of the Bible. The Bible is written by actual individuals inspired by God himself through the Holy Spirit. This is a powerful reminder. David did not know who Judas was. 
David's writing a thousand years before the events that he's now uh, being applied to. He didn't know Judas. He didn't know about the betrayal of Jesus. But you know who did? The Holy Spirit did. You know who did? God did. And so we are able to say God's word is our authority because the Bible is not like just any other book. The Bible isn't just a really inspired book, sort of like Shakespeare's sonnets or like Homer's Odyssey or like John Milton's Paradise Lost, sort of like a classic among the classics. No, we're saying it is uniquely inspired. We're saying it is a book like no other book. And in an ever-shifting world, it is vital for us to have something that we're rooted in. And so when we say God's Word is our authority, we're saying it is our anchor. Bob Dylan, 60 years ago, had the song, said, The times they are a-changing. Come gather around you people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown for the times they are a-changing. And in our world, we, we can look around us and we can just see, boy, that the, there is a sense in which everything is increasingly up in the air around us. Truth seems relative. It just seems to be something that is just true for the eye of the beholder. We have phrases that we just hear all the time. That's my truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. You do you. That's kind of world that we live in here where at times we wonder, is there anything that actually is sturdy? Is there anything that is actually rooted? Is there anything beyond my feeling, my opinion, popular sentiment? Is there anything beyond me licking my finger and and holding it up to see which way the winds are blowing here? Is there anything that holds us fast? And the answer is yes, There is something that defines what is true. There is a word that defines what is beautiful. There is a word that defines what is good, and that is the word of God before us. Inspired by the very Spirit of God to us, the people of God. It anchors us because it is our authority. And we don't just, we don't just intellectually check that off. It is, it is a mandate to us to be submissive to the Word of God. And to do that, we must read the Word of God. So I just encourage you as we're January 14th or 15th, whatever today is, and we're, we're new into the year and we're making these resolutions and a part of uh, the resolution of our life to be resolute in, in being a person, a man or a woman who studies the word. So listen to the word in the car. Listen to the word when you walk. Study the word of God. Wake up and allow it to whisper in your heart in the morning and whisper in your heart before you go to bed. I mean, have the word before you. Put put it on sticky notes and put it on your mirror as you're getting dressed and ready in the morning. So as you're looking at yourself, you look at yourself to the truth of God's word that is never changing. And when you will lack confidence, and of course you will, and when you will lack direction, and of course you will, You're able to look at the word that is unchanging and that is rooted and able to see your circumstances through what will not let you down. What will never lie to you and never mislead you here. This is the word. So we don't take the word for granted. We have more translations than in all of human history. We have more accessibility in 
all of human history. We have Bible apps and various translations and so many tools. But the question is, is will we use these to listen to the voice of God, which is a voice of the Spirit of God leading us to study the Word, meditate on the Word, memorize the Word, but more than that, obey the Word. Submit yourselves to God's voice in in His Word to us. Last night, we had this uh, seniors of our D-Now weekend over at our house, and Danielle and I have the uh, privilege to, to host, and we have so many adults that help us do that, and staff here at Dawson that help us do that, and it is a fun tradition that we have, and last night I was looking at all of those seniors. We had uh, around 30 seniors at our house, and we we're feeding them a meal, and we, Danielle and I get to talk with them and pray over them at the end of that evening, and I was looking out, and surprise, surprise, one of my sons was in that room right there. How did that happen? Do you, do you feel that sometimes? I mean, some of you in this room who, who've walked that road and you're a couple of miles ahead of me, you know how that is. In my mind, he's about eight years old, but he's not eight years old. He's 18 years old. And it happened like this, and the days are long, and the years go by so fast. We're talking to these seniors that are 17 and 18 years old, and they're, they're ending one chapter that's very significant, and they're starting the next chapter post-high school. And so many major decisions that they're going to be made or being made in the, the season of life that some of our college students that are here today, that 18 to 24, that 18 to 28, whatever that frame of time is, you're making so many decisions. And sometimes you wonder, can, can I really be sure can I really be sure that I'm, I'm walking in God's direction, walking in God's will? And I was able to turn to them or turn with them to, uh, once again, the Word of God that says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Stop being conformed to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Word of God. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will for your life is good, pleasing, and perfect will. God desires for his will to be before you. He desires to lead you. He is not trying to trip you up. He doesn't find sadistic pleasure from you sort of getting lost like a mouse in this maze and trying to find your way out of it. He wants to bring light to your path and to lead you. And one of the primary ways that he does that is through you hearing the word, obeying the Word, studying the Word, meditating upon the Word. And as He speaks to you through His Word, we are able to have light that illumines that next step that we take and the next step that we take here. Peter heard the Word of God, and he had light for that moment. And after hearing the Word of God, they, as the apostles gathered together, and they discerned with their reasoning and relationships what they should do next, and they put before the apostles, they put before God, Joseph and Matthias. And they prayed and they cast lots. And where the lot fell, they picked the replacement who was Matthias. Now, that seems arbitrary, does it not? Casting lots. What is casting lots? We've got 70 times in the Old Testament is a description of casting lots, but it is really not a detailed description. You just have the people of God casting lots and making a major decision. 
You have passages like Proverbs chapter 16. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. We actually don't have a description of what actually casting lots was. It could be different types of sticks, some smaller, some bigger, and you pull out the bigger one, and that's the decision. Uh, It could be sort of kind of a primitive kind of rolling of dice. The the best way for us to understand it, probably the closest way for us to understand what they did is they flipped a coin is what they did. I mean, that's the equivalent here. Now, don't get the wrong idea. I told you at the outset of this message, this is a unique parenthesis in salvation history. This is post the ascension, pre the coming of the Spirit of God. We as Christians have the Spirit of God in us, so we don't have to flip coins trying to figure out what we need to do in life here. Actually, we are able, because the Spirit of God dwells in us, to move forward. So I don't think this is a description that is forever before us as people of how we are to walk and to make decisions here. But there are principles that are embedded in this passage that help us understand a roadmap for making really important decisions. And I just want to give you four really quickly here. When you're at these junctures in life and you're trying to figure out what direction do I take, well, first seek God's will through his revealed word. Notice again that Peter stands up and what does he do? He appeals to the authority of God's word. And through the authority of God's word, he realizes that the office that was vacated by Judas's betrayal and death ultimately must be filled. But you know what Uh, Peter did not know? Who should fill it? So the Word of God gives enough clarity of what they need to do, but it doesn't give all the clarity of who they should pick here. And this is really important for us, and I think it's emblematic for many of the things that we face. The primary source for us to discover the guidance of God in our life is the Word of God before us. And as we study the Word of God, and as we submit to the Word of God, so much of life has light to travel before us here. We study God's word and we know through his word that we're to trust his son for salvation. We know that we're called to love our neighbor and to love God. We know we're called through the word to share his love with our family members and friends, our co-workers. We're called through the word to make disciples. We're called through the word to bear spiritual fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You don't have to pray about some things. The Word of God is so clear. We're called to be faithful in our marriages. We're called to be faithful in our parenting. We're called to be men and women of prayer. We're called to honor our parents, to care for the sick, the orphan, the widow. We're called to be honest in men and women of, of integrity in our work. Oftentimes, I think we spend so much time saying, God, if you would only share with me and show me your will, I would be able to follow you. All the while, we're ignoring the will of God so clearly revealed to us in his word. My friends, so much of life is made clear to us of what we need to do as we open and read, as we open and obey his word here. But maybe you're here and you want to raise your hand and say, hold up. True, but. And yes, there is a but to this. 
Because you open the Word of God and we see, well, God tells us what marriages are to look like. God calls marriage to be a lifelong commitment, a death to us par between a man and a woman here. The Bible tells us that marriage, we have characteristics to look for in a spouse. The Bible tells us clearly we're to pray for wisdom in that decision, to love our spouse faithfully and sacrificially. But you're not going to find, as you turn to the book of Romans, you're not going to find a first, middle, and the last name here. You're not. The Bible tells us really clearly what we are to be about in our workplace, in our vocation, to be faithful in work, not to be lazy. But it's not going to tell you in the book of Revelation what you need to major in at UAB or Sanford or Montevallo or wherever you're going to school. It's not going to tell you what specific job that you need to take at this specific company here. And so God's specific will gives us principles But there are parts that are not revealed to us that we've got to make a decision because we live right now. And so the Bible gives us light, but sometimes it doesn't give us all the specificity that we want. So when we come to these fork in the roads, we have to say, are we seeking God's will in his revealed word? And then we have to wisely consider the options that are before us. Don't miss this. Peter had a lot of light to guide the apostles and those early followers to fill Judas's role, but they did not know who to fill it with. How did they make that decision? Two things, reasoning and relationships. Do you see that? They used their mind. They said, our faith is rooted in the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. So when we replace Judas, we have to have someone who has seen with their own eyes Jesus walking and talking, doing miracles, buried, dead, and resurrected. Because our faith is not, it's it's not just a, a whim. It's not just a philosophy. It is rooted in the person of Jesus. So we've got to think through Who has seen him? Who's walked with him? Got two names here. How did they do that? Through the relationships that they had. They put those forward in verse 23. Reasoning, relationships. And when you seek the light that you need to be able to make decisions, you obviously open God's word and it gives you light. And then you come to a place where you're using your God-given mind to think through, like the disciples are, in the particularities of your decision, pros and cons. Sometimes you're actually writing those things down. Pros, cons, pros, cons. And you're just writing those out. You're thinking yourself clear as you write these things out. And then through relationships, you seek wise counsel. You're asking people who are mentors and who are faithfully walking with Jesus to give a perspective into the decisions that are before you. Because why? Proverbs 15, verse 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So we do our own homework. We use our mind. We're patient and calm, and we take time to think carefully And then to seek wise counsel. All the while we're doing this, we're seeking God for clarity through prayer. This isn't sort of sequential that we reason, use relationships, then pray. No, we're all the while bathing this in the spirit of prayer, knowing that God desires for us to ask for his direction and his clarity. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, ask, and he will give it to you without finding fault. 
Many of the decisions that are forking the road decisions in our life are wisdom decisions. They're wisdom decisions. They're not oftentimes that, that here's the sinful path and here's the holy path. Here's the right path and definitely this is the wrong path. Oftentimes we're at this fork in the road and, and there are two good options that are before us. And we're having to seek the Lord's direction through reasoning, relationships, through his word. But all the while we're doing this on bended knee, knowing that we have a good father who desires to lead us and to guide us. And then what do we do? Well, we finally, we trust God's sovereignty. We trust in God's sovereignty as you move forward in your decision. I love the end of this little story. Because in verse 26, we read, They cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven, period. Move forward. On to the next thing. Oftentimes, we come to these decisions, and we've used our mind, we've sought the Word of God, we've sought wise counsel, we've prayed about it, and then we overanalyze and overanalyze and overanalyze and overanalyze, and then we're paralyzed by the analysis of a situation. And oftentimes, we're saying, God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, all the while taking that decision and saying, it all depends on me, it all depends on me, it all depends on me. And so this is just a really good reminder that we are to seek God's will in his word. We are to seek God's will in prayer. We seek wise counsel through the relationships that God has entrusted to us. We use the reasoning of our mind and then we take a step and move forward understanding that you cannot overcome and disqualify God's sovereignty. You don't have that decision card. So you can trust in God's sovereignty and you can trust in a God who redeems all of our decisions because the truth of the matter is we don't have all the light that we would want to have. God gives us oftentimes enough light to take the next step and what we want, we want God to give us the light all the way to the destination. But he loves us enough to force us to walk by faith. Because if he gave us what we're asking, we want God to give us the 10-year plan. We want God to tell us what it's going to look like in 20 years. We want God to check it off and check it off and check it off. And you know what he wants? He wants us to grow in holiness. He wants us to grow in dependency upon him. He wants us to grow, to look more like his son. And one of the major ways that we grow spiritual muscles as 18-year-olds or 78-year-olds, no matter your age, season, or stage of life, is not knowing exactly what we need to do next. But trusting, trusting in the one who holds all of our next securely in his hands. Years ago, when I was a teenager in a church much like Dawson, there's a song of response that we sang as a congregation, a hymn of invitation that we stood up to, and I knew God was stirring in my heart to call me into the ministry. I had no idea as a 15-year-old 
what exactly that meant. But I knew I had to take the next step. So we stood in our pews and I took that step out of the aisle and I walked down to my pastor and he grabbed me by my neck and he hugged me tight all the while we were singing this song. Take up my cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I give my life to ransom thee, surrender your life for all today. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Is that your prayer today? Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.